Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining my podcast today. In a lot of my podcasts recently, I've been discussing the huge amount of optionality out there in the broker-dealer and RIA space, especially for breakaway advisors from employee firms. It wasn't long ago that independence meant running a practice, but also having to deal with all of the headaches of running a business on top of that as well. Over the last 10 plus years, really entrepreneurial, forward-thinking companies have taken the guesswork out of the wirehouse slash employee model to independent transition and have allowed advisors to outsource many of the business ownership functions to get all the autonomy and ownership benefits of the independent channel without having to deal with the unknowns and distractions of on top of growing a business and serving clients. Uh, this solution is called supported independence in the industry. And Rob Bartenstein and Scott Wilson of Kester Private Wealth Services, they were one of the pioneers that solved the problem over a decade ago uh, and have been helping top employee advisors uh, make their dream of independence a reality ever since. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the state of the wirehouse landscape, common misconceptions employee advisors may have about independence, just from them speaking with so many advisors considering making that leap. And just also how advisors' practices change as they go independent and what they're really gaining by, by doing so. Rob and Scott, I, I really appreciate you hopping on today. Thanks, Corey. Good to be here. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. So I think something really cool about your story is, you know, you guys started out in the employee uh, an employee model yourself and just launched this amazing offering for financial advisors considering independence. Can you guys kind of talk about your journey from employee world to where you are today? Yeah, employee world indeed, right? So <laughs> I, I think for Scott and I, probably the most distinguishing characteristic is that we were longtime financial advisors. We both had very successful careers as advisors. And um, along the way, back in the old days, for those that were familiar, Merrill Lynch used to try to recruit people like us into, into management. I don't think they do that so much anymore. But um, anyway, it, there, there came a point in our careers where we, we for whatever reason, individually, um, decided that management was a, was a good path for us. And I think it's the fact, if you want to go back and unpack those decisions for both of us, it's that we really enjoy helping other people succeed probably more than we have a desire to climb the ladder and succeed ourselves. And so we just, we just really are, are you know, it's, it's the thing that we really like to do. And um, in any case, we ended up working together in, on the management side in Southern California back in 2008. And so we went through the financial crisis together. And during that time, what we witnessed both in ourselves was that we still very much considered ourselves, you know, in our heads, we were still financial advisors. And, and number two, the firms that we had, that we worked for and that we'd grown up in were really changing and not necessarily for the better. They were becoming places that were much more about share of wallet and a spreadsheet driven calculation of, you know, how much, um, how many services the firm could push through an advisor to the end client to try and tie them to the firm and a variety of other things that, that we just simply didn't feel comfortable with. And, and so as we, as things got worse and as we continued to have to deliver messages that we 
you know, honestly didn't really believe in. Um, we were sort of spurred to this idea that there's a better way to do this. And that given our experience, both as advisors and then as management, being able to tie those two things together, we and some partners um, could come together and create a firm that would do this for advisors, that would set them up to be business owners. The analogy that we always use is <clears throat> that we're the hospital and they're the surgeons, you know? So what they want to do, people that like our model, what they want to do is they want to come to the hospital and operate every day. That's, that's what they want to spend their time doing. Um, they don't want to sterilize equipment. They don't want to, you know, um, wheel the patient to the curb. They don't want to get bogged down in the billing issues and things of that nature. They just want to operate. And so our model is designed to allow financial advisors who want to operate to be the business owner and show up every day and more or less do what they've always done, which is work with their existing clients and spend time getting new clients and growing their business and not have to spend the inordinate amount of time, which can be anywhere from 30 to 40% of a day on any given day, um, dealing with a lot of the, the mechanisms required to actually run the business. Sure. And I mean, you know, growing up in an employee channel your whole life, you have some idea what it's like to run a business, but there's just so many unknowns. You know, I, yeah. I, I think you're told for so long that, you know, you need all these things provided for you so you could focus on servicing your clients and building your business and then going home to your family. You know, you're going to be so busy being bogged down with yeah. all of these things that you're not going to be able to grow your business. We all know that that's not true. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's great that you've taken a lot of uncertainty out of that for sure. Thanks. Well, you know, look, we we were always told as advisors that we were entrepreneurs, right? Until there were tough decisions that we wanted to make that that the firm didn't agree with. And then we weren't entrepreneurs, then we were employees. Um, and, you know, so, and then, and then we were told that, you know, we, we could make business decisions as, as advisors until they didn't like the business decisions that we wanted to make. And, and we just, we were stuck believing and it seemed very obvious to us that if you're giving away 60% of your revenue to somebody, they should be doing a lot more to make sure that your business is you know where it needs to be for you to do the things that you want to do and and for a lot of reasons that those firms cannot control um supervisory regulatory etc the employee model is a tough place to do that it's especially tough when there are 15 or twenty thousand employee advisors inside of an organization and you have lawyers and compliance and supervision people who are trying to kind of create a common denominator um, you know, to keep people in line or create guardrails that narrow the scope of what people can do every day, irrespective of their talent, their experience, their their kind of client, et cetera. And, and that is a model that works very well for those organizations, regulatorily, legally, and otherwise. But it's not a great model for advisors that want to do things that are creative and that that, you know, take advantage of the evolution of software and the evolution of platforms, et cetera, to do more for the clients. So I think you already covered this question in, you know, a couple different ways. Everyone has said they're an entrepreneur until, you know, they they find out that they're not one and can't make the decisions that are, you know, important to their business. But you're you're arguably speaking with more wirehouse advisors or employee advisors than anyone else right now. I mean, what are the general frustrations that you're hearing from them right now? Yeah, I would, you know, I would chime in here uh 
I think if you look at what's gone on over the last, call it 15 years, really since we left the wirehouse, I think the, the, the culture shift to many of these firms being owned by banks has been difficult, right? As Rob mentioned, today, many of the uh, offices, the, the, the complex managers and office managers aren't, um, have never been an advisor before. And many of them grew up on the bank side. And there's nothing wrong with that from a, a profitability perspective for the bank. But I think for the advisor, it has been a challenge. And I think a lot of their frustration stem from the fact that other people haven't sat in their shoes to know how hard it is to, to get these clients and retain them. So that's been a big deal. And then I, I think just compensation structures have changed over time, not to the upside. I mean, most of the time it's less cash flow, more deferred, um, more restrictions around what you have to do to get compensation. I think that for many of the senior people has just been um, really too much and too many, you know, it's a death by a thousand cuts. I think over time, you just finally get sick of it and you, and you realize there's a better way to do it. I think also the the increased compliance scrutiny, Corey, has been a challenge, especially on as you manage your own portfolios, the amount of note taking and the adherence to many of these policies, it just feels to many of those folks, not that the independent space doesn't have to follow the same rules. I just think that they really manage down to the lowest common denominator. And many of the senior folks just feel like it's a bit much, right? The the amount of work that their team has to do on a daily basis, it takes them out of their growth mode. And I think that frustration, along with attending a bunch of meetings that really have nothing to do with them, and then just the mandates that they have, um, like I said before, to participate and, and partner with the bank side of it, it feels like there's more focus on banking profits through lending and checking accounts than there are maybe on helping advisors, you know, capture more million dollar clients. So um, those are the things that we deal with quite routinely. And I think the independent space um, addresses many of those. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in short, I just hear so many financial advisors say, Corey, I just wish they'd leave me alone to do what I feel is right for my clients. You know, I've, I've never been in trouble. I've been in the business for 30 years. I, I'm doing the right things. And I'm just coming up against so much friction from a compliance standpoint. It's, it's not it's not even worth doing anything new. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hearing that quite a bit. Every year, there's more and more wirehouse financial advisors um, and employee advisors making the leap over to independence. But at the same time, there's there's still a lot of wirehouse teams that are making a move, you know, wires to wires. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just, you know, lack of research? Do you think it's misconceptions or is there or something at the wirehouses that they need that can't be replicated I mean, my perspective of that, and Rob, you can certainly add yours. Um, I think it depends. I, I do think that there are still people that enjoy the financial benefits of moving wire to wire, right? And sometimes that just is, is too big of a number that people can't find their way, or they may not have enough time to really um, you know, enjoy all the benefits of being independent. Yep. They also, there are a lot of people like Rob and me that have left the industry and have started other firms that we compete with. So many times it's just relationship, just like with Rob and, and I, we, you know, we have strong relationships across the country and many times people just follow people, which I personally think is a smart thing to do. We're, we're big on culture and following people that we trust. And, and I think many times that's the case. I do think the biggest misconceptions though, 
are that they're going to be alone. And Rob mentioned this, that, you know, we really try to take that fear of, of moving their business uh, off the table. And, and it's a great way to, you know, to move to independence, especially if you don't have the infrastructure in your team. I mean, some teams have four or five people and there's capacity, so they may not need the help. But most of the folks doing between one and five million have pretty lean structures with their organization. They haven't committed uh, to overstaff. So without overstaffing, it's almost impossible to move over and, and set everything up for yourself. So that those are the things I see. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add to that is that, you know, independence isn't right for some people and that's okay. You know, I mean, I think that there's a, there's a mindset that you have to have to want to own and run your own business. And the, the funny thing about that is, is you'll probably work harder than you ever have simply because you enjoy it more and it's, and it's yours and you're not giving more than half away to the man, so to speak. So there, there's that element. And some people just, you know, they, they don't want that. And like I said, that's totally fine. Like we, we're not judging anybody. I think that this is a, this is sort of a, a unique space. It's not niche per se. I mean, it's true now that independents manage more money than the wirehouses combined. So the trend is clearly to, towards independence. Um, but but it, what it looks like and what our model is designed to address, at least in, on the initial phase, is it looks like a very big leap, right? It's a big leap and it's scary. And um, those firms that, the, that these folks are leaving have never been shy about making it known to the folks who might consider leaving that they will do everything they can to, to make sure that they regret that decision in one form or another, right? And the truth of the matter is, is it's not nearly as hard as anybody thinks. And once people begin to do the due diligence, they begin to understand why that's the case. Um, and, you know, we're the success rate that people have making the move is, is through the, through the roof. It's off the charts. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, Pollyanna here and say it's, it's, it's easy to move on some level it's work. But if I told you that you had to work really hard for the next two months, so that for the rest of your career, you'd make 50% more than you made last year. I mean, wouldn't that be worth it? I, I there, there's a calculation that you have to go through in, in your own mind and, and settle in that this is what you want. And the other thing that I think people will, um, will typically worry about is, when they're leaving the wirehouse, like, what am I, what am I giving up to go independent? I think that's a, a big concern. People think and have been taught to think that those firms are the center of the universe for everything, whether it's product or research or whatever, that, that basically it's a wasteland outside the four walls of that building. And that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's the opposite. I mean, over the last decade, Scott and I have watched this independent space just absolutely balloon and blossom with so many people um, who've left that space, that wirehouse captive space, whether it's on the on the investment management side or on the software side of things, you know, leaving technology that supported big firms, let's say, and starting your own firm to build technology to support independent advisors and a million other examples that the answer to what am I giving up most of the time is you're not giving up anything. You're gaining a lot. Um, and, and so not only are you gaining a lot, but you're also gaining the autonomy to make decisions about what you're going to use and what you're not going to use. And I think people are invariably pleasantly surprised 
with all of the technology that's out here to support them and help them grow that they've never had access to before. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think you put out a, a, a private well services piece a little while ago, and it showed a $2 million team in revenue, what they would make at an employee firm versus on, on your platform. And it was the difference between 750000 versus close to like $1.25 And I think a lot of wirehouse advisors, I know one that we've worked on before, uh, you know, mutually, they looked at that pro forma and they're like, Corey, what am I giving up for this extra, for this extra money? And, you know, you're giving up, you know, not having to pay for a company's hundreds of millions of dollars of branding. You know, if you live in North Carolina, you're not paying for the office space in LA and Manhattan and all the other expensive places. You know, you're giving up paying for multiple levels of management and bureaucracy. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you're giving up and having the ability to pay, have every dollar that you make pay for that locally for your practice, you know, your clients and the community that you're trying to impact. That's where the extra money comes from. And, yep. and that's what you're giving up, in my opinion. Easy, right? I mean, that's easy yeah. to understand. It's, you're also you're also giving up paying for somebody else's black car service. You're also giving up paying for somebody else's helicopter from downtown to their place in the Hamptons. You're also giving up the corporate jets. You're also giving up equity research sales. I mean, yeah, there, there are a million things that you're no longer funding. Um, it's it's really elegant in a way that the, that the, the way the economics pan out in the independent space in terms of, to your point, Corey, you know, the revenue stays with the advisor. The, re the revenue stays with the firm and that firm and that advisor make the decision about where they're going to spend the excess revenue to grow the business or to bolster the business or to hire new people or what have you. I mean, it all stays local and then decisions are local, which I think is a, I mean, it's just a huge, it's a huge change. I mean, you can't even really put an order of magnitude on that. I would, and I would just add, Corey, that it's about choice too. The beauty in our space is it is really mature that there are technology partners, third party that really make life so much more simple to, to run and grow your business, right? Um, the key to this is also making sure that you, you know, you miss some of the, the major mishaps uh, and, and, and errors that we made 12, 13 years ago when, when moving over. So I think, you know, is there are a number of um, benefits of, of being independent and choice is, is a massive one. And you want to find a partner that integrates those choices to protect you as well. So it's, it's really simple to go independent, but it's not easy to keep yourself in compliance with FINRA and the SEC. So I think you've got to balance um, those things. And in terms of the cash flow, that is a, an obvious one. I think there can be at times a misconception of how uh, large that gap will be. And it really depends on the way you run your business. But there are plenty of people out there that will run analysis for you that will help break that down. Um, and you really have to look at, you know, three levers. You have to look at the cash flow component. You have to look at any transition package that you may get from that firm. And you have to look at the equity components in terms of your ownership. Those three pillars, they're all different with every different, every firm. So I think a person like you can help them so, you know, sort through those um, issues and really differentiate the, the folks in the space. Yeah. And Scott, I have to give you credit, you know, versus a lot of competition out there in the space, 
Sometimes you'll be dealing with like a $4 million team and you'll, they'll, they'll, a firm will do a profitability analysis and it'll show that they'll net, you know, 80%. But there's a few things missing from there. I've went working with you before I've, you write just an extremely transparent and detailed pro forma. So a financial advisor just understands every single cost that they could walk into, which is, which is very appreciated. Well, that was important to us. I mean, we looked at each other way back at the, the half answer that people get in our industry sometimes. Yeah, we can do that. They just don't tell you it's not economically feasible, right? Yeah. And then when you really dig into it, we've had a number of people that have chose to go other directions, I think, that have bid on some of that. And, and their comments to us after the fact are, you know, there was a lot of local expenses that I didn't think about that were actually pretty material. So um, you're right on that front. We we take pride in that. And we lose some deals probably because we we are being super transparent, but we'd rather have you be an educated buyer when you land here and not have to feel like you're you're going back and rehashing the numbers after you've already signed and left, which then it's too late. So let's let's get it done ahead of time. Yeah, th this is the world of the half answer, the independent space. You really as as a and we talk to um, employee advisors about this all the time. Like, I don't, I don't care where you go. Um, you need to know that when you're out here in this space, you're going to get, you're going to hear a lot of things. You're hearing yes to a lot of things to Scott's point that are economically not feasible, you know, and you only find that out later. So we're number one, we're about transparency. Um, we would much rather lose a deal because we don't look as sexy as somebody else than um, over promise and under deliver. And, and Corey, you know this, we're not in a big hurry. I mean, we've we've reached a point in our evolution here where we're absolutely comfortable with where we are in terms of the size of the firm and the assets and the revenue and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking to do 10 to 15 deals a year and, and that's it. So culture fit really matters. Um, type of business, style of business really matters. You know, all these things that we now have the, the we're, we're blessed to have the luxury to be um, analytical around and choosy about, uh, I think, make for a very strong ecosystem and a very strong culture of advisors at private wealth services that that's just unique. And I mean, they're all unique and there are a lot of good choices out there. Um, so I'm not saying I'm not trying to disparage anybody else, but I but I will tell you, just as, as you mentioned, um, stylistically we're going to be super transparent and make sure that because this is what we believe in um, and we know that people are trusting us with their professional lives. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, we want you to know every single thing we can tell you before you make the move. And, and to be honest about that, um, that, that sounds like a tall order, but I would, I, I believe that ultimately preparation is what reduces anxiety and I'm talking about the advisor here. And when they are coming our way and we've spent the time and Scott and his team have spent the time to get them ready, they're prepared. And their anxiety level is greatly reduced because of the transparency and because of the detail that goes into that. Yeah. And you, you've you sat in their seat. You know, you remember what it's like. You could speak both the employee language and translate that into a really easy to understand way about about what independence looks like as well from, from, from my experience, which is a huge value. Robert Scott, whoever wants to uh, handle the question, just give an overview of like, of, of what your value proposition was. You did, you had a great, uh, 
you said something great in the beginning that, you know, you're the hospital and the advisor is the surgeon. Can you dig a little bit into that and what your supported independence model looks like? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. And uh, Scott, you'll, I'm sure you'll help me. Um, I think at the beginning, it's important for advisors to understand that the there are kind of three phases of this process. Phase one is is the what we're talking about, which is getting out, getting your business established and getting up and running. Phase two, we think about this kind of in a 10-year arc. Phase two is grooving in process and efficiencies, hiring, staffing, that sort of thing, um, platform business evolution. And then phase three, stage three is acquisition, merger, sale, that sort of thing. Um, but what we're talking about right now is, is phase one. And, and phase one is pretty clearly built on some very important fundamentals. And, and we do, we, we call, we have four that we really focus on and we call them the four pillars of the business and, and they're real estate, technology, infrastructure, and compliance. So there, there are elements of this that are by sort of, uh, need and necessity the same across all sorts of businesses like ours um but but where we where i think we're different um from everybody else at least we'll start with real estate is we are real estate soup to nuts so we are going to help an, an advisor identify the the properties in their market where they want to be they're going to tell us where they want to be specifically we're going to help them identify the square footage that's appropriate for their business through a consultative approach that we use we're going to find, let's say, 10 properties that fit that. They're all going to be A-level commercial real estate, the top tier. We're going to give that list to the advisor and let them go through the, the list and decide which ones are a potential fit, which ones are an absolute no-go. And then we're going to go tour the remainder with them, again, as a consultant to say, hey, think about distance from the elevator. Think about the fact these lights are going to have to be replaced, whatever, you know, parking for senior clients, things of this nature that that a decade plus of doing this just, you know, lends itself to. And then we're going to do the negotiation with the landlord. Once they pick the spot, we're going to negotiate with the landlord. So we're not asking them to become an expert in commercial real estate, right? On day one, um, we'll handle the negotiations. We will put down all the deposits that are required. We will actually sign the lease in our name. So the lease will be signed in Kester Private Wall Services name. So no confidentiality issues or breach for the advisor. Um, and then we're going to pay the rent into perpetuity. So the advisor designs the space with our project management team in terms of the way, you know, the out the way it's set up, the, the colors, the style, all that. There, you know, we have dozens of offices around the country and none of them look the same. Um, so they control all of that. And we control all of the kind of usability issues of the space. So if the parking lot doesn't get plowed, they need to, they can just call us. If the garbage disposal breaks, they can call us. This is the little things that go along with that go along with being in a space. You know, there's a leak or what have you. Our project management team is going to take care of all that stuff. But they don't have any economic risk associated with all those deposits, the five-year, seven-year lease term, whatever it ends up being. Um, and then the rent payments themselves, which when we were putting the model together, we just put ourselves in their shoes, just like you said. And we said, what would be what would be the thing that would scare us the most? The thing that would scare us the most is taking down a seven year lease on a commercial real estate transaction that we've never done before and have no experience with. And just being afraid that either the business wouldn't work out or we'd get taken for a ride by the by the landlord or something. And, and you know, it would be a disaster. So. 
We take all that economic risk off the table. We handle all of the build out. We work with the general contractors. We're spending, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars probably on each uh, new office that we that we build out these days. I mean, inflation is everywhere, um, so it goes probably a hundred and up. We, we've got double and triple that number in certain cases. All of that is stuff that a, that a normal advisor, one and a half, two and a half, three and a half million dollars, would look at and go, "That's just more than I want to bite off." I, I I might that that might make inertia win, you know. Um, so that's a big one. The, the second one is under this banner of supported independence. We treat technology the same way. So we install it, we repair it, we maintain it, we upgrade it, and we replace it when necessary. That's the phone systems, the internet telephony phones, the, the uh, laptops and desktops with dual panels, the copier printer, the networking, all that stuff. We fly our tech team up and during the build out, they install all that stuff. And then we take care of it into perpetuity. Um, the infrastructure is everything that goes in the office. So it's all the furniture, it's all the equipment, it's all the supplies, it's it's everything. Um, that is all installed by the project management team and ready on day one. And then compliance. Nobody has to be compliance licensed. This is another big, you know, holy cow, chasm kind of moment when you're looking over the fence at independence. Like, I don't want to be the chief compliance officer. I run a clean business. I've never even had a, an issue with compliance. And I know people that that do have issues with compliance and they get asked to leave, right? And I don't want to be anywhere near that. Um, all for the right reasons, right? And we we want people who have great, clean track records and and, and want to run a compliant business as well. We that's a big focal focal area for us. Um, but that, that all all of which is to say, nobody really has much experience in that area. So how do you ameliorate that and the fears that go along with that? Well, we centralized all of our compliance. So we're, we're basically 100% at this stage of the game, um, DocuSign, e-signature, and, and our teams link to our compliance group, which is in Austin, and share the documents back and forth. And, and best of all, um, if, if they ever are the subject of an audit, so you know they get a letter that says in two or three months, we're gonna come spend a week with you in your conference room, which you know can happen, whether it's a state or a federal regulator, we're flying somebody up or to that office to sit in that conference room from our compliance group who runs point on audits. That's what they do. They're very familiar with how it works and they handle the audit process on behalf of the advisor. So no on the job training. And, and all of this, all of this circles back to the value of the firm that the advisor owns, whether it's one or four or five advisors, they own it. They own the equity. We're not an equity partner. And so what we're trying to do is help them design a firm that's worth a lot of money, grow that into a firm that's worth even more and protect that using our compliance resources so that they never see a diminution of value as a result of some negative you know, compliance outcome with regulator. And Corey, I might just add just a couple small things. Um, Rob, is amazing when he talks about the, the, the industry and the space. I, I might go a little bit on the other side of details around um, the key. I think there are so many good alternatives out there. Just make sure you find somebody that gives you choice. I mean, if you know, we try to give as much choice and we try to base everything on having options, not telling people what to do. But with that, just make sure you ask, is it integrated? Um, all those integrations, 
are expensive and they're difficult. So there's this balance between choice and not having too many choice with good integration. And then we allow you to own your business and your building. So many of our advisors now are going towards owning their own building and we pay you rent at a much higher than market rate rent in most cases um, because that's what we model out. And I would tell you that's another way to build equity is let us you know pay for your building. Let us pay the rent and you know that has worked well. And then the cyber risk that you know Rob mentioned all these things that potentially can um, can haunt you on compliance and other tech related. But cyber is highly under um, rated in terms of how difficult it is and how much risk there is to you in your practice. And it can be financial risk. Um, many ENO policies don't even cover some of these cyber attacks. You have to have multiple policies. So just be very careful on that front as well, that whomever you're working with, that's the reason we hook you into our system. We don't have to trust that they're putting their own cyber on with the, you know, the least expensive option out there just to get it done. That, that's, some, that's some other context. Hi, it's Corey. I'm jumping into an episode to share a quick note. First, I really hope you're enjoying this conversation and that you found it informative and educational. Second, if you're a high-performing financial advisor considering a transition and you have any questions about the industry landscape, I'd be happy to have a 100% confidential conversation with you at absolutely no cost. And you can reach out to me via text, phone call, LinkedIn DM, or through my website. All my contact information is in the bottom of the show notes. And if you're interested in learning more about how I help financial advisors find their new home, visit my website, coreywhalen.com, or simply type Corey Whalen into Google and YouTube, and you'll have quick access to all my on-demand educational content right at your fingertips. Now I'll let you get back to the conversation. Yeah, one yeah. thing I really like about your model is that, you know, it's <laughs> it, it's the launch. The advisor leaves their employee firm. The office is built. They cut their ribbon. And the only thing they have to worry about is bringing over their clients. But also, you know, you, you guys are, are with them for the long haul. And, and and you're doing a lot of the work afterwards as, as, as well. I, I think... I think that's a big differentiator in your space. You know, it's it, just on that point, Corey, it's kind of funny. Like, I think Scott and I catch ourselves not wanting to sound like we're bragging about anything, but but I'm, I'm saying this in an effort to kind of be, maybe be more helpful to anybody who's looking at this and trying to evaluate whether our model's a good fit or, or another model or what have you. But we've been doing this, as I mentioned, for longer than a decade. We've got advisors who've been with us for longer than a decade, right? So, and and I don't remember honestly the last time anybody left. So I say that because I think it's indicative of the fact that we're holding up our end of the bargain. That that throughout the last twelve plus years, we have evolved the platform, we've evolved the comp structure, we've we've evolved everything that needed to evolve to continue to make this the value proposition that's appealing to people that it's a fit for. And I, and I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. There is no silver bullet when it comes to an independent solution. To Scott's point, you really got to find the people that you know, that you trust, that that you can believe have your back and that will go the distance for you. And, and honestly, I think part of the reason that when we win, we win is because we are not um, you know, the gold cufflink and, and, uh, fancy suit set. Like we're, 
there are a lot of those people that have started businesses in this space and, and, and they do great work, but, but it's just a different way of approaching it. You know, we're the guys that are going to work with you side by side in the trenches when things go sideways and in, invariably something will, you know, and it may not be while you're moving. It may be three years later. It may be five years. It may be eight years later, but the relationship that we have with our advisors is very uh, symbiotic. You know, it's it's a it's a true partnership. And and whether it's me or Scott or any of the people on our team, we are talking to most of our firms most of the time. You know, I mean, I don't know what the I don't know what the 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 rate is that we're in contact with folks, but it's not like we don't know their first and last names and who they're their, their husbands and wives' names and their kids' names and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a pretty deep relationship. And that's something that you've you got to want that. And, and it's what we want. And um, they're our clients. And we treat them like they're our clients, just like we treated our clients when we were financial advisors and the way they treat their clients. So that's, you got to want that. And if you don't like advisors and you don't like getting in the in the trenches and rolling your sleeves up and getting to work on stuff, this is going to be a really hard business to be a part of, you know, from a, either from a management side or, or from the advisor side. And, th and that's why I brought you guys onto this podcast. Like you just said, you work in the trenches so much with your advisors. How many teams are you up to now? I think we've got 56 firms in about 53 locations. We have, five signed LOIs that uh, we're going to be opening another four offices over the next three months. So that's awesome. uh, I think by the end of the year, we'll probably be in, in terms of firms, we'll probably be in the, the mid to high sixties and probably 175 to 180 financial advisors. And totally with support staff, we'll probably be at 250 by the end of this year between advisor support staff and, and our team. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's growing, and but I think it's growing in a measured pace. That's the other thing. You got to make sure um, the people you partner with are able to deliver on the value prop. If they tell you something, you got to be willing, like Rob said, to, to dig in. And this is a 24-7 thing. I mean, and we love it. Like That's just what we've built. And we don't have any problem taking calls on our cell phones, you know, on a Saturday evening when they're in working or concerned about something that came up with their tech or their office or whatever. So we, uh, it means a lot to us. That's yeah, awesome. I, I would, I would echo that. The, the, just as Scott said that I, the, the, the calls that have come in on a Saturday or a Sunday, either because of an issue related to the business or because the markets were plummeting. Um, those are the ones that that stick with you, you know, over a decade plus of work. I, I remember a lot of those calls more than the kind of the day in, day out ones. Um, but there's no hesitation on our part to be on the phone with somebody on a Sunday afternoon when the market's down 20 percent and and they're worried and, and genuinely concerned about the future, their future, their client's future and wanting to talk through stuff. Th that's what we're here for. That's what we'd love to do. That makes us feel useful and, and helpful. And it's what we believe in. And, and the simple fact is we respect the hell out of what financial advisors do. Um, we, we believe in it. We know how important it, it, it is to the world at large and, and how it affects real people's lives. And so to get up every day and get after it with them on, on their behalf or side by side with them, whatever it needs to be is, is a true I mean, it's a true joy and 
we couldn't ask for a better better way to make a living to be honest so 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 being in the trenches with advisors as much as you have you know helping 60 plus teams transition or about about to be 60 plus well it's been more than 60 we've had some mergers along the way so all right all right so even 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 better yeah I, i hear from people Corey. Man, if, if if I knew I could bring my business with me, if I could snap my fingers and be over at another firm, I would be there already. You helping as many teams as you have, what can an a, the, the the average wirehouse or employee team, you know, expect to bring over on average? And maybe maybe I'll jump through yeah, some of the numbers, but it, yeah. I mean, over the last 10 years, I think the honest answer is obviously it depends on the size of the firm, how many advisors they have, their infrastructure. The the more advisors that are on the um, team and the right infrastructure, the easier it is to contact clients in a in a speedy fashion, right? Um, so it depends. Uh, I would tell you that historically, our target in terms of their AUM in year one, once they take out that ten to fifteen percent that they don't want to bring, okay. That remainder, we use these 75 to 80% of that in the first year, which represents probably the lion's share of the revenue anyway. Yep. And so it's a great way to call those, those small clients. And then on revenue, our goal is to get them back to where they're at by the end of their second year, back to 100% of where they were at, but they're going to have 25 to 30% more income, Corey. Um, so if they, you know, even in year one, when it's 75, 80, they're probably net cash flowing the same or more with better tax benefits and they own their business. So that fear, I think where where we don't see those numbers um, is if you work in a bank channel. Um, You know, historically the folks that have been W2s at a bank where they've been been given many of the accounts are referred. um, I think it depends on the quality of the team again and how they built their value proposition. If they've leaned on a big bank to do lending and all these things that they do, it can be a challenge. Those folks are typically 40 to 50% in year one. And they they their goal would be to get 70% of their assets by the end of the third year. That's what we model. And I think that's an accurate number. We've done enough of them. Um, but we've had teams do 100%, right? Um, I'm just talking on average. It, it, but most of the folks from a wirehouse firm, um, you know, that, you know, the big eight that we, we deal with have been very successful because they own the clients, right? Um, they don't literally own them as a W2, but the relationships they own, and they've been working with these people for sometimes up to 30 years. Yeah. And they know multi-generations, they've been to plenty of weddings and funerals and, you know, graduation parties and whatever. And that's what we love about the business is we know the financial advisors own the relationship. And if you've done a great job in taking care of people, just like we hope we do, you know, people stay with you. And and I think we see that. I tell financial advisors this all the time, but I think financial advisors just really underestimate the impact that they have on their clients. I've had the same doctor for the last- 100% true. Yep. I've had the same doctor for the last 12 years- Five years ago, um, he left the big box North Carolina hospital system 
and he made a move to his own independent practice. And when I got a letter in the mail saying he was going to leave, I just had such anxiety that like he wasn't going to be my doctor anymore. Like he knew my family. He knew my family's names. He knew everything about me. Like the fact that I would have to build rapport with another person again, it, it was just like almost, almost unthinkable. I've, I've never heard somebody just say that's a client like, man, I love Merrill Lynch. Like I love Edward Jones. I love whatever the firm is. It's, it's always You've never heard it because they never say it. <laughs> it's, it. It's always, I love, I love yeah. Austin. I love, right. I love John. It's, 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 right. it's a person. And there's just such an underestimation of that. Um, if if you ever, if you, if you haven't, and I'm speaking to the advisors that might be listening to this, if you ever have any doubt about who the relationship is with, um, I, I will just tell you, remember that, remember the first meeting that you had with that client. If you're at Edward Jones, remember the, remember the first time you knocked on their door in all likelihood. Right. But if you're at another firm, you called somebody, you, you know, you met somebody, you, you made a connection and you built that trust from the ground up. That's even, that's even more, I would say, I would argue that's even more deep than the relationship with the doctor, because the doctor is kind of in, in receive mode, you know, you're, you're showing up and you don't really know what you're going to get, but, but you end up liking this doctor. And, and to your point, Corey, over time, you develop that relationship and then you're, you're stressing if you think you're going to lose access to them. But, but think about it from take another f- step back even further in the origin story where, you know, the advisor or the the doctor went and found you, you know, the, the doctor courted you. And, and then you said, OK, let, let, let's try this. And it's worked out for all that period of time. When when we see people go independent. What happens is that you're as an advisor, your clients treat you just like the doctor that you're referring to. And when somebody asks them, do you know anybody that I could talk to about my stuff? They cannot wait to to refer that person to you. Just think about it. Like your doctor, if if you had somebody come to you and say, you know, hey Corey, do you have a really good GP that that I'm new to town and I'm just trying to find a good doctor? You'd be like, oh, I have the greatest doctor, and you would you would push this this person to go see your doctor because your loyalty to them and how you know it's a good experience, etc. When when people leave the big firms and establish their own businesses, the the client loyalty and the client affection for them goes up. And and very often what they hear, and I'm sure you've heard this um, from people that you work with, after they've made the move, what we hear clients saying are things like, you know, Tom, you know, Sally, I really, we've always loved you, but we really didn't like insert firm name. And so it was hard for us to send people to you to, you know, to work with. But now that you've got your own business, this is great. And we we have all these people that we want to um, send your way. So it, it's a totally different dynamic. But anyway, I, that's- I, 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 I totally agree. So Rob, you know, protocol versus non-protocol. I know you've had success bringing over teams from both types of firms. What's the difference? How, how has it impacted asset retention? Yeah, that's a good question. And I know people stress about this. Um, the, the simple answer is it, it makes almost no difference. So um, if we do you know, a backward looking sort of analysis, 
people that leave under protocol and people that leave under protocol, at the end of the day, they end up in the same place um, in terms of asset retention, which is 80% or so uh, year one. So um, there's not, not an appreciable difference. There's a little more work associated with non-protocol because you're leaving and taking nothing. So you don't have the information, the five pieces of information that somebody would have uh, leaving a protocol firm, which makes contacting clients a little easier. But at the end of the day, we've been doing this a long time. We've developed a very um, strong strategy for dealing with non-protocol moves. And what I would say just in general, um, we don't have time to get into all that right now, but what I would say generally is the articles that you see in the financial press that show X firm suing you know, ex advisor for a million dollars or whatever, all those, all of those fact sets contain actions taken by an advisor that were frankly stupid and um, that invited that legal action. So my, my caution to anybody thinking about making a move, whether it's with us or anyone else is you don't need to do anything cute to be highly effective. You don't need to violate the rules to get the job done. Um, just don't do it. And, and don't give the firm uh, any reason to, to want to rattle their saber or raise any sort of legal issue with all with you at all, because it's just, it's simply not necessary. So trust us that we've been doing this for a decade plus, and we know what we're talking about. Don't put yourself in that position. You're, you follow up, you follow the path, you do what your attorney and, or uh, the firm you're working with instructs you to do, and it'll all be fine. Awesome. That's that's great insight. I think there's a lot of misconceptions uh, around that. And a really, really good attorney can help you really understand what you can and cannot do uh, and just get you a lot of clarity that people have done this successfully in the past. That's right. Um, guys, I, I really appreciate the time. You've built an incredible model. I've seen firsthand how it's worked and uh, have gotten fantastic feedback. I think you guys are, 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 are a wealth of knowledge. And um, I really, really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. I'm sure advisors are going to get a ton of value out of this. Well, thanks for having us, Corey. We thanks, appreciate Corey. Thanks for having us. We love working with you and, and your firm as well. You guys do a great job. So it's always a pleasure to partner with you to help people find their way. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions about the broker-dealer or RIA space at all, my contact information is at the top of my YouTube page or uh, all over my uh, my podcast page as well. Thank you so much, everyone. And I hope you have an amazing weekend. I really, really hope you find this podcast of value. If you do, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends.